Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who has a Yeti and a Bigfoot in his winter village. So it's one of these uh, light-up ceramic Christmas wonderland-type deals, complete with fake snow and toy shops and the whole nine yards, but uh, hiding up in the trees up on the hillside just above the candy store is a Sasquatch and his cousin the Yeti, and in my opinion, no holiday season is complete without some cryptid creatures. So, But I'm not here to talk about cryptids today. Nope. I've got something far more bizarre lined up for you. It's a hodgepodge of strange facts and stories that have to do with the natural world, but each fun fact is so unnatural, it will blow your mind. So hold on tight and secure your jaw so it doesn't drop to the floor, because things are about to get so strange. Alright, I've searched the internet and uh, pulled up an article called 10 Recent Stories That Prove Mother Nature Is Screwing With Us. And it goes like this. Mother Nature has an awesome reputation. Depending on who you talk to, she's either wonderful, cruel, awe-inspiring, or horrendously evil. We all have a different theory. Uh, she's a practical joker. A veritable flood of stories have recently featured nature doing stuff that has left our heads spinning. While none of these reports are uh, mysteries, and all of them have rational explanations, they do all seem to have one goal in mind, to leave the average layman scratching their heads and feeling as confused about the world as humanly possible. So coming in at number 10 is wild small-tooth sawfish experience virgin births. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> We all know how sex works. Two people shack up after one too many beers, and nine months and a shotgun wedding later, a little bundle of joy is born. Uh, try telling that to Florida's small-tooth sawfish. In June of 2015, scientists reported that the creatures had started experiencing virgin births. This sort of reproduction isn't actually uncommon in the animal kingdom. Invertebrates do it all the time, and it's also been observed in some captive vertebrates as well. Uh, sharks, chickens, snakes, and Komodo dragons have all been known to give birth via uh, parthenogenesis, uh, meaning that an unfertilized egg became a living creature. What's weird about this story is that until now, we've assumed that the offspring from these virgin births are both extremely rare and wouldn't survive in the wild. Florida's sawfish have proved us utterly wrong. Over the course of nine years, researchers took DNA samples from 190 small-tooth sawfish in the Florida area, and they found that 3%, or 7 of them, were the offspring of a single parent. While still rare, that's way more frequent than you would expect, and the offspring also managed to survive in the wild. Two parents? Who needs two parents? Magical little sawtooth weirdos. They should actually change the name of the species to the Mother Mary fish, in my opinion. Uh, just knocking themselves up and having babies without the help of a partner. You know, if that's not strange, I don't know what is. Coming in at number nine, we have an insect who has evolved working gears. You may be familiar with the concept of intelligent design. In short, it suggests that organic life is too complex to have to have evolved and therefore is evidence of a divine creator. 
It's a theory that has led to some heated arguments about what constitutes too complex, quote-unquote. But apparently Mother Nature has been enjoying these scientific brawls because in 2013 we discovered something seemingly designed to reignite the debate, an insect with gears. As hallmarks of the machine age, gears are meant to be unique to humans. Then they suddenly turn up on a juvenile Isis uh, coleoptratus, which is a, a tiny hopping insect that's about three millimeters long. Unlike gear shapes that have appeared before on other animals, these gears actually worked. Located on the back legs, the rotating gears allowed the appendages to move simultaneously, causing the insect to hop forward. Even weirder, they featured stuff like rounded corners at the point where each tooth connects to the gear strip, uh, a piece of handiwork that stops the teeth from shearing off. Uh, that's something that we associate more with bicycles and car gearboxes rather than animals. No one is suggesting that this whole, that this is the work of the hands-on creator god. Uh, actually, the scientists who found it have a fairly detailed explanation as to how such a mechanism could have evolved naturally. Nonetheless, we're pretty sure it fits our hypothesis that nature is intentionally messing with our minds. This jumping insect is a juvenile Isis coleoptratus, also known as a plant hopper. It makes a living hopping from plant to plant and extracting sugar from the plant's veins. Unlike many jumping insects, the plant hopper's legs sit directly under its body, and this creates a unique problem. Unless both legs fire with exactly the same force and within microseconds of each other, Isis goes spinning through the air like a poorly thrown frisbee. In contrast, a grasshopper's legs are positioned on the outside of its body, which gives it a larger margin for air when taking off. A new study in the journal Science reveals how Isis has resolved this problem. On the inside of the insect's thighs are two sets of teeth. When it jumps, the teeth lock together, moving past each other at a rate of 50,000 teeth per second. This keeps the plant hopper's legs perfectly synchronized. According to the researchers, it's the first time that real working gears have ever been described in an animal, and they may be the first to have appeared on planet Earth. The plant hopper has been around for many millions of years, long before humans invented their own version of the gear. For Scientific American, I'm Eric Olson. Gears on a bug. That is bananas. You know, up until this article, if somebody would have asked me if there was something that could occur naturally in nature, I would have said, uh, no way, nothing in nature can naturally form gears. Uh, it just goes to show that this world is far stranger than we can possibly imagine. Up next, we have all mammals take the same time to urinate. There you go, just the fun fact you needed for the day, right? <laughs> Mammals are a pretty varied group. Uh, picture the smallest dachshund puppy standing next to the biggest elephant. Then forget about that image and picture the puppy standing next to a blue whale. That's how varied our taxonomic class is. We've got bladders ranging in size from a few centimeters across to vast tanks capable of holding gallons. Yet it turns out that nearly all of us have one thing in common. We take the exact same amount of time to pee. The Georgia Institute of Technology study that observed this was so bizarre that it recently won a Nobel Prize. The team watched 28 videos of mammals peeing on YouTube and then went to the Atlanta Zoo and experienced for themselves the glory of watching multiple animals pass water. In addition to observing whether the animals were able to produce streams, jets, or just droplets of urine, they also took note of the duration. They found that 
animals or mammals larger than rats uh, take about 21 seconds to pee. This means that a cat bladder empties in the same space of time as an elephant bladder. As bizarre as it sounds, there is a logical explanation. The bigger a mammal is, the bigger its urethra is. So while a cat may release a few droplets over 21 seconds, an elephant lets loose an uninterrupted gush over the same duration. I'd like to back up to the part about the Georgia Institute of Technology and how they won a Nobel Prize for watching animals tinkle. I mean, I'm not knocking them because, I mean, truth be told, I myself will most likely never win a Nobel Prize. Uh, but that's that's a really strange thing to win an award for, just, you know, watching video after video after video of animals relieving themselves. You know, if I didn't know any better, I would have assumed those people have some sort of a weird fetish. But nope, they're just over there winning Nobel Prizes. So now, appropriately enough, if you look it up, the Nobel Prize is actually golden, kind of a yellowish pea-like color, if you will. But anywho, uh, hands off to the Georgia Institute of Technology and the good work they're doing over there. Number seven, there's no such thing as vegetables. Remember when you were younger and your mom always told you to eat your vegetables? Well, your past self now has the perfect comeback. You could tell her that you can't eat your vegetables because they don't exist. This is something that shows... Um, that those who study such things have known for ages, but it was only very recently that a BBC magazine article brought the extent of the confusion to a wider audience. Uh, the first problem is that a quote-unquote vegetable is not a biological term. Uh, what we lump together as vegetables fall under many different categories. As the article puts it, radishes and carrots are roots. Uh, but, uh, botanically speaking, onions and garlic are bulbs. Uh, potatoes and Jerusalem artichokes are tubers, asparagus are stems, lettuce are leaves, cauliflower and broccoli are inflorescence. Uh, vegetables have no widely accepted legal definition either. In the 19th century, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the tomato is a vegetable, but elsewhere in the world, it's legally defined as a fruit. In 2001, the EU ruled that tomatoes, rhubarbs, uh, rhubarb stalks, carrots, and sweet potatoes are legally defined as fruits if they're used to make jams or preservatives. Uh, another problem is that in the only other sphere where we use the term vegetables, which is cooking, we classify some stuff as vegetables that patently aren't, such as mushrooms and beans. In short, it's easier to say that vegetables don't exist at all. You know, one of my daughter's uh, favorite foods is, you know, those frozen bags of rice and vegetables and cheese sauce, and it comes frozen, but you heat it up in the microwave. Now, is it healthy? I, I don't know. It's probably loaded with sodium and preservatives, but at least technically she's eating broccoli, which <laughs> is apparently not a vegetable at all, but alas. As for me, um, I, I took this to a whole nother level because, you know, you see people eating broccoli with cheese on it. And I, I had a crazy idea one day, so I had one of these uh, spray can cheeses, which if you're listening to this outside the United States, you might not even know what I'm talking about because we have so many processed foods here, it's ridiculous. But it's it's like a can of cheese, <laughs> and you you kind of bend the tip, and it's, it squirts out. Well, it's not even cheese. It's like liquid something artificial that resembles cheese. But one day I took a stalk of broccoli, and I put the spray can cheese on it, and I ate it, and it's pretty good. Can't, can't say it was the healthiest thing I've ever eaten, but uh, at least technically I was eating my uh, broccoli. Well, technically not, because 
you know, broccoli's not a vegetable after all, but whatever. I get pretty creative with my with my food from time to time and truth be told I'm a, I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment because what I'll do is uh I'll use my home gym and I'll be on the elliptical machine burning calories but at the same time I'm simultaneously watching the food network and I'm watching all these delicious you know these delicious meals on like diners, drive-ins and dives and all these cooking shows and I'm just salivating and I'm on the elliptical you know pumping and pedaling as fast as I can like I'm trying to get that donut on the screen so I don't know. What can I say? I'm a weird person. Up next, you might secretly be two people. Barring occasional philosophical musings, most of us think we know who we are. We have a face, an identity, a DNA pattern, and a mind that all adds up into making us ourselves. But how would you feel if scientists could actually prove that you were more than one person? Believe it or not, this has literally happened. In 2014, Lydia Fairchild was struggling to get money from her, chi- from her children's dad. She took him to court and had them both undergo a paternity test to prove that he was, in fact, the father. The test came back with an unexpected shock. Although the re- results showed that he was indeed the father, they also showed that Lydia could not possibly be the mother. For Lydia, this was an understandable surprise. After all, she'd carried her sons inside of her for nine months and went through the ordeal of giving birth, but there was no trace of her DNA in either of them. While the court assumed that she was scamming to get money, the truth turned out to be even stranger. The children were technically mothered by Lydia's unborn sister. To explain this, we need to go back to the womb. In the early stages of pregnancy, two fetuses can occasionally merge together to form one body, which is called a chimera. As a combination of two different cell lines, these chimeras can then sometimes carry a genome in their eggs or sperm that are different from the rest of their body. In essence, part of their bodies are actually they actually belong to someone else. While it's rare for a chimera case to reach such extremes, many of us may well be harboring parts of another person inside of us. A study at the University of Alberta in Edmonton recently found that 63% of women were harboring male cells inside their brain tissue. What the actual hell is going on? All right, when I initially read this, it blew my mind and I read it like six times and I was still cross-eyed because I couldn't wrap my mind around it. So I took to YouTube for more information as one naturally does when searching for the mysteries of the universe. And here's what I found. While searching for a kidney donor, a Boston woman named Karen Keegan stumbled upon a mystery. When her three adult sons underwent genetic testing to determine whether they were a match for kidney donation, the test showed that two of them weren't actually her sons. Keegan knew she was her son's mother. She had conceived and given birth to them. Figuring there must have been an error, her doctors pursued further testing, only to uncover something even more confusing. She was her children's biological aunt. It turned out that Keegan had a second genome in some tissues and organs. In other words, some of her cells had a completely different set of genes from the others. This second set of genes belonged to her twin sister, who had never been born. This condition, where an individual has two genomes present in the tissues of their body, is called chimerism. The name comes from Greek mythology, where a chimera is an amalgam of three different animals. Individuals with chimerism might have two-toned skin or hair, or different colored eyes, 
but most are believed to have no visible signs of the condition. Chimerism can come from a twin in utero, from a tissue or organ transplant, or happen between a fetus and a pregnant woman. So how exactly does it happen? In one of the most common forms, a mother and fetus swap cells in the flow of nutrients across the placenta. The mother can inherit fetal stem cells, undifferentiated cells that are able to develop into any specialized cell. The fetal cells initially go undetected because the mother's immune system is suppressed during pregnancy. But in some cases, cells with the fetus's DNA persist in the mother's body for years or even decades without being destroyed by her immune system. In one case, a mother's liver was failing but suddenly started to regenerate itself. Her doctors biopsied her liver and found DNA in the regenerated tissue from a pregnancy almost 20 years earlier. The fetal stem cells had lodged in her liver and specialized as liver cells. Karen Keegan, meanwhile, acquired her second genome before she was born. Very early in her own mother's pregnancy with her, Keegan had a fraternal twin. Keegan's embryo absorbed some fetal stem cells from her twin's embryo, which did not develop to term. By the time Keegan's fetus developed an immune system, it had many cells with each genome, and the immune system recognized both genomes as her body's own, so it didn't attack or destroy the cells with the second genome. We don't know how much of her body was composed of cells with this second genome. That can vary from one organ to another, and even between tissues within an organ. Some might have no cells at all with the second genome, while others might have many. At least some of the egg-producing tissue in her ovaries must have carried the second genome. Each time she conceived, there would be no way to predict which genome would be involved, which is how two of her children ended up with the genes of a woman who had never been born. That video comes to you courtesy of Ted Ed on YouTube. And that might be the weirdest dang thing I've ever heard. I mean, for, <laughs> forget about ghosts and cryptid creatures and time travel and all the other stuff we cover on here. This takes the cake, man. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, to me, one thing comes to mind, alien hybridization programs, right? Tinfoil hat stuff. But, you know, you got aliens abducting people, messing with our genetics, and impregnating poor, unsuspecting women, stealing their fetuses, creating alien-human hybrids. I mean, if they keep mixing in their genomes with ours and altering our genetic code, before you know it, we might develop little gears built into our legs that like that little uh, cricket bug thing from earlier. I mean, can you imagine humans just bouncing around like grasshoppers? It ain't natural. It's not natural at all. But seriously, there are cases worldwide of women who are pregnant and, you know, they have a miscarriage late in the pregnancy, seven, eight months along, and they go to the doctor and the fetus is missing. The fetus comes up missing, almost as if, oh, and by the way, oftentimes these cases occur right around the same time that the women have had, quote unquote, dreams of being abducted by aliens. So, I mean, there's, it, it's a crazy theory, but maybe it's not so crazy. You know, the thought of, you know, aliens, uh, you know, mixing genetics with us, uh, you know, stealing babies right out of the womb, altering our genetic code, um, you know, it's 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 weird, but, you know, I don't know, but the chimeras, you know, people with a completely different genome or multiple genomes inside their body really makes you wonder, is one of those genomes alien? Is one human? What's the difference? Now, I'm not a geneticist. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a dude with a podcast, but it's it's weird, man. And whether the, the phenomena is related to aliens or not, uh, this is certainly, 
incredibly strange. Number five, chickens can be made to walk like dinosaurs. Mother Nature sure likes her Easter eggs. Perhaps none are quite so obscure or hard to find as this one about barnyard fowl. So in early 2014, scientists at the University of Chile observed that it's possible to recreate how dinosaurs used to walk using a modern chicken. All they had to do was stick a plunger to its butt. We're not making this up. <laughs> there, were, there were actual scientists at an actual university who actually wanted to study how a T-Rex used to walk. And since every chicken is an extremely distant relative of Jurassic Park's most famous inmate, they decided that the best way to study it in modern life would be to attach a fake tail to a chicken's behind. The experiment was a success. And according to their paper, the team successfully forced the chicken to walk in a more dinosaur-like way. For uncovering this strange little Easter egg that Mother Nature had left lying around, they were awarded, wait for it, a Nobel Prize. <laughs> so apparently they're just handing out Nobel Prizes like Halloween candy. You know, Nobel Prize for you, one for you, one for everybody. I guess it doesn't take much anymore. Just shove a plunger up a chicken's ass or watch endless hours of animals urinating and bam, Nobel Prize. Up next, we have misbehaving black holes. On September 24th, 2015, the Royal Astronomical Society put out a press release about a supermassive black hole that they'd been studying at the center of a newly observed galaxy. To the team's surprise, they found that it was way too big. Going by current theories, this ginormous black hole was 30 times larger than should have been physically possible. The idea of a black hole being at the center of a galaxy is nothing new. We've known for quite a while that they like to lurk there, presumably to remind the cosmos of the fleeting futility of existence, but they've always followed a pretty firm set of cosmic rules, rules that the black hole at the center of a 9 billion year old galaxy is now flouting. And the galaxy, by the way, is called SAGE 0536 AGN. Rolls right off the tongue, right? Well, at 350 million times the mass of the sun, it should be uh, far too big for its parent galaxy. As Dr. Jacko van Loon, an astrophysicist at Kiel University, put it, uh, this one, though, is really too big for its boots. It simply shouldn't be possible for it to be so large. Uh, van Loon's paper also raised the interesting possibility uh, that the black hole might not be alone. It could be one of a brand new class of galaxies. We may be forced to rewrite our understanding of galaxy formation. Rewrite the understanding of galaxy formation. No thanks. Just the thought of that leaves me feeling exhausted. I'll leave that to the professionals like uh, Jacko von Loon, who, in my opinion, has to be, this dude has to have the coolest name out of all the astrophysicists out there. Jacko von Loon. I wonder if his friends call him like a cool nickname like Loons or, or Looney Tunes or, you know, Dr. Loons over there making new discoveries. Probably not. I don't know. These are the things that I think to keep myself entertained throughout the day. But number three, we have uh, the fact that chimps have already begun the revolution. Uh, 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes was a good film for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that it told an arguably dumb story and made it genuinely compelling. The other is that it apparently predicted the future. In April of 2015, we got the first warning signs that our captive ape cousins are ready to start the revolution. Uh, 
At Burger's Zoo in Netherlands, a group of filmmakers were flying a drone over the chimpanzee compound. When they got to the top of the enclosure, something surprising happened. A female chimp used a stick to attack the drone, knocking it from the sky. The group then proceeded to rip the drone to shreds. That in and of itself is not particularly interesting, but what came next is. After studying the footage, scientists released a paper that made a terrifying claim. The chimp who attacked the drone had planned it all in advance. The drone had already done a practice sweep over the compound when chimps were seen gathering sticks to attack it with. Uh, when it came back, they were waiting for it, allowing it to get close before launching their assault. The video of their faces showed that they weren't afraid. In other words, uh, the stick hit wasn't just a lucky strike by an animal flailing around in panic, but rather it was a deliberately targeted attack. And this is pretty much the first time that we've seen uh, apes plan and coordinate in such a way before. Uh, add to it other reports about chimps developing tools for consuming alcohol, and we, for one, would like to welcome our new primate overlords. Hey, at least the chimps didn't reverse engineer the drone and build a replica for themselves out of the spare parts. <laughs> that would have been more terrifying. Uh, but considering that the average human IQ is decreasing for the first time in recorded history, I'm sure it's uh, only a matter of time before apes overtake humans and become the dominant species on this planet. And uh, and I mean that. That's That's a scary fact. That is actually true. The average human IQ is going down, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, there was an uh, analysis that showed that men born in 1962 had higher scores than those born in 1991. So if you're born in 1991, what does that make you, a millennial or, a, I don't know, Generation X, Y, Z? I can't keep track of it. Apparently, we need to we need to start reading more and watching less TikTok because we, uh, we ain't getting any smarter, apparently. Number two. It's possible to give yourself a skin orgasm. Ooh la la. We've all experienced it before. That tingling of the skin, that sensation of chills as you listen to a sublimely good piece of music or get to the climax of an awesome movie. It's a pleasant sensation, no doubt, but few would call it actively orgasmic. In truth, that's just because we're the unlucky ones. So according to the BBC, some people experience this type of pleasure so intensely that it can be directly comparable to having sex. The idea seems ridiculous, but apparently it's just another Easter egg that Mother Nature has thrown out for us to find. Known as a skin orgasm, such moments can be triggered by a wide variety of things. For some, it's a piece of music. For others, it's a particularly tasty dish an incredible twist ending to a movie, or even an evocative sound like rustling leaves can do the trick. Uh, physiologically, the experience for some people was what you'd expect at the moment of climax. Heart, racing, heart rates uh, increased, faces flushed, goosebumps appeared across the skin, and limbs trembled. It was even suggested that some people become addicted to these feelings, which is why you should occasionally meet people who think that there's nothing wrong with playing Gangnam Style five times in a row. The triggers are different for everyone, but usually revolve around taste, uh, touch, sound, movies, or music. Who knows? You might even have a trigger out there somewhere just waiting to be discovered. Wow. <laughs> the more you know, right? I can just imagine it. You know, somewhere out there in the world is a lucky person, post-orgasm, just basking in pure ecstasy while smoking a cigarette, right? All because a gentle breeze tickled the hairs on the person's skin. 
lucky bastard. Uh, actually, uh, come to think of it, you know, man, if I was afflicted by this particularly awesome condition, I don't think I'd be all that productive. You know what I'm saying? Too many distractions. I mean, I'd probably never leave the house. I mean, wouldn't want to feel embarrassed if I prematurely went to Pleasure Town all because I heard a pile of rustling leaves. You know what I mean? Just saying. And drum roll, please. Number one, we have the fact that there's a village where girls spontaneously turn into boys. Can't make this stuff up. It says girls grow a penis and morph into boys when they hit puberty in a beautiful Caribbean village. Uh, physiological sex is supposed to be an immutable biological law. All right. Even if you're born transgender, your body won't catch up with your mind without some medical help. The idea that a girl could spontaneously turn into a boy is the stuff of science fiction novels and cheap erotic fiction. Well, don't tell that to the residents of Salinas in the Dominican Republic, because their children have been seeming to switch sex for as long as anybody can remember. And unlike some creatures uh, where women can choose to live as men if they reach puberty and but still retain their female bodies, uh, the Jueve Gueva Doses, if I'm saying that right, they change physiologically. Uh, in fact, they tra uh, the, the term uh, Jevedose uh, translates to penis at 12. And this is because of a normally uh, incredibly rare genetic mutation that affects only 1 in 90 of the village's children. It causes abnormally low levels of an enzyme, uh, enzyme known as 5-alpha reductase, which is responsible for a penis growing while a male baby is in the womb. But for the Jevedosis, it doesn't kick in until puberty. And so that, that means that they're born looking like girls, and it's only when they hit puberty that they suddenly grow a penis, testicles, and muscles. For some parents, it comes as a complete surprise. Yeah, no kidding. Holy cow. Although we've known about this condition since the 1970s, they've only recently become big news after pharmaceutical companies noticed that they had small, all these people had small prostates. And this observation has led to the development of a drug that can treat male pattern baldness and prostate problems. So in short, this one village is full of check, uh, sex changing lifesavers. It seems that mother nature loves nothing more than to shake things up a bit. Wow. I, I've got nothing to add here. <laughs> Holy smokes. That takes so strange to a whole new level. Uh, before we wrap things up, uh, go ahead and rate and review this show if you're enjoying it. Uh, that would do me uh, a big favor. Thanks in advance for your support. And if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you'd like my other one, too. The other podcast I do is called Paranormal Dads, where my good buddies Eddie and Pat, we explore the monsters, myths, and mysteries of the world. And uh, we incorporate a lot of uh, bad dad jokes and a lot of humor as well. Uh, you can become a subscriber to this show. Uh, the link is in the show notes. And all subscribers, well, you get a lot of perks by becoming a subscriber. Uh, you're, you'll gain access to a monthly roundtable video chat where you can talk with me and see my studio and give advice on upcoming episodes you'd like to see me do. Uh, once a month, uh, a subscriber will randomly be selected to uh, gain access to the official events that I do on a monthly basis, lectures and events and uh, really good stuff. I, I teach classes on past lives and angels and psychic development and everything in between. The most important a subscriber to this show gains access to a super strange bonus episode each and every Thursday. 
so you can instantly double the amount of content by becoming a subscriber for $4.99 a month. So again, click the link in the show notes if that sounds right up your alley. And last but not least, I'll say that uh, I I am an author, like I say at the beginning of each show. I have four books currently available through my website and on Amazon. If you're looking for uh, a holiday gift-giving idea to the open-minded stranger in your world, uh, you can check out some of my books. Uh, or you can just uh, find them on Amazon as well. But there's something for everybody. And uh, just putting that out there for you. As for today's episode, man, I think we covered just about everything. We got virgin births. Fraudulent vegetables, bizarre black holes, chickens who walk like a T-Rex, and chimeras. Chimeras, I mean, for crying out loud, what else, what more could you possibly want, right? Are you not entertained? (laughs) Uh, But thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend, and I hope it's so amazing and so strange.